Good morning. It is great to see all of you. We are glad you're here. We have some visitors with us, and we love to have visitors, and we love to make you feel welcome so that you'll be back with us. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13. I want to pose the question, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And thinking back as a, as a child, many times, well, in my day, back on the playground, there might be a competition as to who was the greatest. I remember playing King of the Hill on occasion. That was a painful experience. But, but who's the greatest is often a, a struggle among people. It's no surprise to many of us that this was even a struggle among Jesus' disciples. Even Jesus' apostles argued among themselves as to which of them was the greatest. And apparently, uh, there was this discussion yet again in the setting in John chapter 13. And we'll watch how, how Jesus handles this situation and how he communicates not only his will, but his love. In fact, one writer says, William Barclay, few incidents in the gospel story so reveal the character of Jesus and so perfectly show his love. What does Jesus do? How does he demonstrate his love? Well, look with me in John 13, verse 1, and notice the setting. Notice the setting. And the setting is the, the Last Supper in conjunction with the Passover. Jesus and his apostles are gathering into the upper room. And again, there appears, Luke's account tells us that even in this setting, this discussion that was uh, recurring apparently came again about among the apostles as to which of them was the greatest. Luke's account says this, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So there's that background going on in this setting. Verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what is Jesus aware of? He's aware that it, his time of departure, the time for him to go back into heaven, ascend into heaven, is drawing very near. Before the ascension, there would be the crucifixion, which would happen the very next day. Jesus knew. He, he had talked about how his hour had not come, but now his hour has come. He's, he's facing the cross. He has so many things that he wants to, to share with his apostles before, before all these things take place. And so all of that is on his mind, and, and apparently as the apostles are arguing about which of them is the greatest. But notice the last part of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. And John is telling us that what Jesus says and does on this occasion is a demonstration of his love for his disciples, his love for them. In fact, many, in fact, the NIV states it this way, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Again, what Jesus is doing is demonstrating to his arguing disciples how much he loves them. And he's also going to give them a lesson that I'm sure they would never 
forget. Watch the extent of his love in verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. And we'll stop right there for a moment. So among this crowd, there is Judas. Judas is motivated by greed. He's also fulfilling prophecy that he would betray the Lord. So he is in that group. He's no doubt in that discussion about which of them is the greatest, but but now his greed and the devil working through that, he's about to betray Jesus in the next few hours. But Jesus' demonstration of his love is going to include even Judas. Think about that. His love could not be quenched by evil. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Now notice that state, those statements there. Jesus is aware of his divine origin. He had come from God. He's aware of his divine destiny. He's going back to God. Jesus knew who he was. He was the Son of God, fully conscious of the power that he had as such. But even in the midst of that authority and that power that he had, he loves his disciples and he wants to demonstrate to that, to that to them again. So notice the consciousness of Jesus on this occasion. His hour is approaching. Speaking of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. His hour is approaching. Yet he's not only thinking about that, he's thinking about his disciples. And he's fully aware of his own power and majesty. He's conscious of his authority and who he was and where he was going. So how did Jesus demonstrate the full extent of his love for his disciples? Notice the service that he rendered in the next few verses. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his, his outer garments and taking a towel... He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. If the apostles are arguing about which of them is the greatest, which of those apostles is going to perform that servant's task, that customary servant's task of washing the other's feet? And again, if they're arguing about which is the greatest, for, the, for one of them to stoop to do this menial servant's task would, could be viewed as an admission, well, I'm not the greatest. The greatest should have his feet washed by the others. So perhaps it's because of their arguing this and this debate that they don't, they don't think about this customary duty. But the greatest one among them does. And I won't have to remind you about the conditions of those feet. Think about Palestine, first century Palestine, and what do you think of as far as the, the, the climate? It's very, very dry, dust-filled streets. And when the rain would come, all that dust would turn to mud. And, and here are people walking through these dusty streets and perhaps muddy streets on occasion in sandals and so when they enter a house, it's no wonder there was this custom 
that there would be a servant there ready to wash their feet. But no one is thinking about that on this occasion except for our Lord. Except for the one who's knowing he's going to be crucified the next day. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be denied. He knows that these very disciples are at some point going to flee from him. But he loves them. And he wants to show them how much he loves them. You remember this interchange with Peter? And I can't help but identify with him. I feel like I would have a similar response, wouldn't you? Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and he comes to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter objects, Lord, are you washing my feet? And I'm thinking Simon Peter's thinking what you and I would think, that, Lord, I need to be washing your feet, not you washing mine. But then Jesus says to him, what I'm doing now you do not understand, but you will, you will know after this. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And, and Greek grammarians tell us that the emphasis is on the never. Never shall you wash my feet. And you can almost see envision Simon Peter pulling up his feet away from Jesus so that Jesus can't wash his feet. But then Jesus says these words, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And here's the pendulum swinging the other way with Simon Peter. I love his response. He said, he said Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And my paraphrase is, Lord, if, if, if I have no part with you unless you wash me, then wash me all over. That's classic Simon Peter, showing his humanity, but also his love for the Lord. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. And so he makes reference. You're not all clean. He could see the the heart of Judas and see what was his motivation, what he was about to do. But I'll remind you, he washes Judas' feet as well. After he goes around the table, after he washes all the disciples' feet, he asks if they understand the significance of what he has done. Verse 12 When he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said, Do you know what I have done to you? That's in the New King James Version. Do you know what I have done to you? And of course they knew what he had done. But what Jesus is asking, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And imagine being one of those apostles and you've been arguing about which of, you, which of the apostles is the greatest and you hear Jesus say that. If I am your teacher and Lord and I'm washing your feet, you should be washing one another's feet. And wouldn't that have a humbling effect on the apostles who were, who were thinking he should be washing my feet, speaking of a fellow apostle. Not me washing his. 
But again, the greatest of among them is saying, I'm your teacher and your Lord, you're exactly right. In verse 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus is asking them to consider who is the greatest among you. And a servant is no, not greater than his master. Jesus was the greatest among them. And he said, the greatest among you, your teacher and your Lord, has given you an example. The example of service that they should follow. In verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. They were learning a lesson. They were not only receiving the great, a great uh, demonstration of the love of Jesus on this occasion, which, by the way, was a preview of what he would do the next day on their behalf. He would go to the cross and die the cruel death of Calvary for their sins and for yours and for mine. And what he's doing here in this act of humiliation, this act of service, is giving them a preview of not only what he's going to do and has done for them, but also what he wants them and he wants us to be about. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So I want to come back to this question who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And the answer is, folks, it's Jesus. He's the greatest. And Jesus served others and desires that we follow his example. Look with me again to verses 4 and 5. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. How do we serve like Jesus? Looking at these statements in verses 4 and 5, here's some lessons for application. Number one, he rose from supper. When everyone else was seated and had no intention of rising, had no intentions of doing this task, Jesus took the initiative. If we would serve others like Jesus, we must take the initiative. When we see a need, when we see someone hurting, when we some, see some need around us, somebody's got to take care of it. Why not let that somebody be me? Let it be you. Jesus didn't wait around for, for them to come to the realization that, how, that Jesus was about to undergo some things that they would never fully comprehend, some things that he had told them was going to happen. And if there was ever a time when Jesus could be focused on himself and everything that he was doing and what, what he was about to endure, this would have been the occasion. But what's more important to Jesus on this occasion is teaching his disciples about how they're to, to live when he's gone. And he wants them to have the, the mindset of a servant. He wants us to have the mindset of a servant. 
And the mindset of a servant is when there's a need, someone's got to do it. Someone has to take the initiative. And here it's Jesus, the greatest one, taking the initiative. Number two, Jesus laid aside his outer garments, perhaps his tunic. He lay aside his outer garment. He put away pride. Here's the greatest person who ever walked the streets of this earth is putting away pride and humbling himself in performing this servant's task. If we're going to serve like Jesus, we're going to have to put pride aside. There's no room for that. It's not about us. It's about serving the great, the great one who teaches us by his example to serve others. Number three, Jesus put a towel around his waist. The application could be this, that, that we are to clothe ourselves with humility. We get rid of pride and we clothe ourselves with humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter the one who initially objected to Jesus washing his feet, writes about how we should clothe ourselves with humility. And many wonder if he had this occasion in his mind when he, by inspiration, wrote that. If he thought about when Jesus washed his feet and how much humility that took for Jesus to do that. When they should have been washing his feet, he was washing theirs. He was demonstrating humility. And we too need to clothe ourselves with that quality. But then Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He didn't just think this was a good idea. He intentionally humbled himself and washed the dirty feet of the disciples. Even the disciple who wasn't clean on the inside. To demonstrate his love and this example of service. And Jesus says to them and to you and me, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Several weeks ago, I, I read an account by a nurse named Dawn. And I want to share this account with you um, because I think it has a powerful message. In my years in the ER, I saw Jesus daily doing his kingdom work in and through a group of his followers. It was a true expression of church. One day stands out above, uh, beyond all others and, and left me radically changed forever. It was the day I saw Jesus face to face. Give us hearts as servants was the song they were singing as I left the church service, heading, heading off for my second 12-hour shift in a row. Weekends in the ER can be absolutely brutal. I was physically and emotionally spent as I walked up to the employee entrance. The sound of ambulances and an approaching medical helicopter were telltale signs that I would literally be hitting the ground running. Dawn... Can you lock down room 15? Yelled out my charge nurse as I crawled to the nurse's station. When someone asked for a lockdown, it was usually a psychiatric or combative case. 
Two security guards stood outside the room, biceps flexing like bouncers, anticipating a drunken brawl. My eyes rolled as I walked past them into the room to set it up. The masked medics arrived with a man strapped and restrained to their cart. The hallway cleared with heads turned away in disgust at the smell surrounding them. They entered the room and I could see the man with his feet hung over the edge of the cart covered with plastic bags tightly taped around the ankles. The ER doctor quickly examined the man while we settled him in. The medics rattled off their findings in the background with the man mumbling in harmony right along with them. The smell was so overpowering as they uncovered his swollen, mold-crusted feet. After tuck, tucking him in and taking his vital signs, I left the room to tend to my other ten patients in waiting. Returning to the nurse's station, I overheard the other nurses and techs arguing over who would take the man as their patient. In addition to the usual lab work and tests, the doctor had ordered a shower complete with betadine foot scrub, antibiotic ointment, and non-adherent wraps. The charge nurse looked in my direction. Dawn, will you please take the man? Please? You don't have to do the foot scrub. Just give him a shower. I agreed and made my way to gather the supplies and waited for the security guard to open up the hazmat shower. As I waited with the man, the numbness of my business was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched the man. Restless and mumbling incoherently to himself through his scruff of a beard and stash. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted, curly, shoulder-length mane. The poor shell of a man had no one to love him. I wondered about his past and what happened to bring him to this helpless, empty place. No one in the ER that day really looked at him and no one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him and his broken life. But as much as I, I tried, I could not. I was drawn to him. The smirking security guards helped me walk him to the shower. As we entered the shower room, I set out the shampoo, soaps, and towels like it was a five-star hotel. I felt in my heart that for at least those ten minutes, this forgotten man would be treated as a king. I thought, for those 10 minutes, he would see the love of Jesus. I set down the foot sponge and decided that I would do the betadine foot scrub by myself as soon as his shower was finished. I called the stock room for two large basins and a chair. When the man was finished in the shower, I pulled back the curtain and walked him to the throne of warmed blankets and two basins set on the floor. As I knelt at my feet, my heart broke and my stomach turned as I gently picked up his swollen, rotted feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough, broken, and oozing pus. Tears streamed down my face while my gloved hands tenderly sp sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was as quiet as the once mocking security guards started to help 
by handing me towels. As I patted the foot dry, I looked up, and for the first time, the man's eyes looked into mine. For that moment, he was alert, aware, and weeping as he quietly said, Thank you. In that moment, Dawn says, I was the one seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king, Matthew 25, will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. You did it to me. You did it to me. The greatest person who ever walked on this earth, humbled himself, and washed the dirty feet of his disciples. And he compels us by that act of love that was a preview of what he would do on the cross the very next day. He says, as I have done to you, you also ought to do to others. I've given you an example. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That's the God we serve. Who served others. Who served us. May we see Jesus in the, in the faces of people that we minister to, knowing that when we serve others in the name of Christ, we are serving him. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, we extend it now to you, asking that you understand to your core that this same Jesus the very next day would go to the cross willingly on our behalf and pay for our sins by dying on the cross in our stead. Salvation is found in what he did for us as he was also buried and rose again. And you can share in that salvation if you'll confess that Jesus is the Son of God and having turned from sin and repentance be baptized, immersed into Christ so that your sins can be washed away by his blood. The baptistry is ready even this morning if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Those of us who have done that, who are, who are in Christ, we're part of God's family. May we never ever forget the example that Jesus set. May we continue to serve him by serving others 
whatever that may look like in our day-to-day lives. And may we always keep our eyes focused on Jesus and following after Him and, and serving Him by serving others. And when we get off track, when we start thinking about, I'm the greatest, or we start asking, who's the greatest among us? Let's remember, it was the greatest one who washed feet. It was the greatest one who gave his life for you and for me. And he's the one that I need to follow. If you need to get back on track as one who's wandered away, if you need the prayers of the church this morning, please come right now as we stand and sing.